Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of On Air with Sean McStay. This week, I am very pleased to have with me Adam Baker. Adam is a strategic partner at Schooley Mitchell. Uh, he's got a great background all the way from the Air Force, all the way through leadership training and uh, working at, as a, uh, a strategic partner, saving businesses money by doing the work everyone hates with the knowledge no one has. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Sean, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I was happy to uh, get to know you on a call a little while back, and I thought to myself, this is not only an interesting guy, I'm really interested to hear more about Schooley Mitchell, but looking into your background, you've got uh, a very unique uh, background that I think listeners would be interested in. Uh, So maybe start things off with a quick introduction about yourself. Yeah, no, thanks. So like you said, I'm a strategic partner with Schooley Mitchell. Uh, Schooley Mitchell is North America's largest cost reduction consulting company. So we've got locations spread throughout North America. And what we really do is we find opportunities to save our clients money on the essential services that they're already paying for. Things like telecom, merchant services, shipping, waste, utilities, uh, their fuel needs. And what we do is we go in and we're able to negotiate lower rates for our our clients. And and you hit on, you know, doing the work everyone hates, right? Think about when you call Verizon or you're calling your your cable company and you're trying to get a better deal, right? You're spending hours on the phone just trying to nickel and dime them. Well, we figured out the process. We know where we can get them down to and how to work with them. And so we've really been able to, to narrow in on that and really create budget for our clients that they didn't know they had. Very interesting. All right, well, I definitely want to dive into that. As I often do on my episodes, I want to learn a little bit more about you as a person. Uh, Maybe give me a little bit of a personal introduction, and then I think we'll jump into maybe talking about uh, how your career progressed, because a lot of the people that are listening are at different stages in their career, and I'm hoping they're going to be able to take uh, maybe some knowledge or information from that. So who's, who's Adam Baker as a person? Yeah, so so I'm a you know most importantly a husband and a father of three, you know, and, and you've you've talked about my career and I've had a lot of really cool titles, um, but I've got to say father is far and away the best title I've ever gotten. Um, I just I I spend a lot of my time just with my kids because I really enjoy it, and and I'll tell you a little bit more about my background, but you know, um, growing up I didn't have a father around. You know, and so I really, you know, focus in on how do I be that that great role model of a father for my kids. So that's really where I spend the majority of my time. Um, I, you know, I get involved with the nonprofits. I, I sit on the board for the local homeless shelter here in Erie County, and that's something that's near and dear to my heart because uh, not many people know this, but Erie, the zip code in Erie one six five zero one is the poorest zip code in the nation. Right, the absolute poorest, and so we really feel and fill a need uh, for the folks that, that truly need it. So between my, my volunteering and spending time with the kids, and, and then dedication to work, that that pretty much rounds me out. Awesome. All right. So looking back to when you were a kid um, growing up, what was what was your thoughts for the future? You know, did you have a career when you were in school that you're like, this is what I'm going to do, or how did you end up uh, where you are? So, we didn't really talk about the future when I was a kid. Uh, my my mother dropped out of high school about two months into her sophomore year to marry my father. And I, I was the last of four kids, and shortly after I was born, they got divorced. So now I've got a, a mom with four kids, a single mom with four kids with 
less than a 10th grade education. And um, my father wasn't the, the best guy to be around. So one day I came home from kindergarten. She piled us all into the car, drove us to Texas. And, uh, and, and my father found us in Texas. So she drove us to Southern California. And uh, we lived in a tent for a while until we could find somebody to stay with. And, and my mom just kind of struggled through. She worked two jobs. And I remember, you know, she was working two jobs during the day. And then in the, the middle of the night, she'd get up and deliver newspapers and take one of us with her. And, and so the focus was always just on survival, right? There was never any talk of, hey, this is what you should do in the future. This is how you should prepare yourself. So um, we didn't really look at it that way. Now, I was... School came relatively easy to me, so I was fortunate that my senior year I was awarded a, a full scholarship um, to, to go to school for engineering. But as I looked around, I didn't know anybody that went to college, and no one could answer my questions of what to expect, uh, whereas my siblings all had joined the military. So I said, well, if they can do it, I know I can do it. So, so I joined the military, and uh, I had amazing leaders that just kind of pushed me and, and eventually I applied for a scholarship through the Air Force. They paid for my schooling again and then had me come back in as a commissioned officer. So uh, I finished tops in my class for, for ROTC and they say, hey, you get the pick of any job you want. And, and the job that called to me most was um, Office of Special Investigation. So it's like the NCIS or, you know, those shows that really called to me. But everyone said, Adam, like you're finishing tops in your class. You, you're in the Air Force. You got to go for a pilot slot. And, and, and I didn't really feel called to it, but I was a young, impressionable 20-something. And I said, well, yeah, I guess that'd be pretty cool. So I, I took a pilot slot and went to, to pilot training for the Air Force. And um, I absolutely hated it. It just, you know, it was one of those square pegs, round hole type of connections that it, it just wasn't me because I realized that, what I wanted to do was really be connected with people and, and help people and be that way. So um, I let my leadership know, hey, you know, pilot, being a pilot isn't for me. So I moved over to leading uh, nuclear security professionals. So right off the bat, I had, I had 50 people that I needed to lead. And it was great because we were doing a, a phenomenal mission, but I could also help them, you know. And, and for all those opportunities that I felt I missed as a child, because nobody could really guide me, I was able to really guide these folks. So um, once I left the military, I knew that I just, I enjoyed helping. And so whatever I did, I wanted to find an opportunity to help. All right. Well, that's, that's I mean, first, thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, that's a, a really amazing story um, of perseverance through very difficult situations. Uh, when you were kind of moved into that leadership position where you had 50 people underneath you and, and didn't have a lot of leadership experience, how did you make that work? Did you have some great mentors that you leaned on? Did you, you know, go to school? Like, how did you kind of learn how to lead? Yeah, so, so throughout Air Force, you know, through those opportunities, they're constantly putting you in different leadership opportunities. But the, the biggest thing I did was um, I grabbed on to someone who was, um, he was my direct report, but he had about 20 years in the military. And I grabbed onto him and I said, hey, you and I are going to work together. Okay, I'm going to pick your brain and I want you to kind of guide me in the right direction. And, and I'll never forget, he always said, you know, he said, Lieutenant Baker, you're full of potential. And I said, oh, that's great. He said, you know what that means? I said, no, what? He says, it means you're not worth anything yet. He said, you got to live up to it. So, but he, he really helped form my leadership style. And we took this team of 50 
And uh, when I got on the team, we were ranked 10 out of 10. We were just the worst. And, and through uh, a year and a half of really working with them, listening to his insights, we were able to become the number one team out there. So, uh, so it was just, you know, when you ask what, what, what led me, it was really listening to the people that had experience. Yeah, and that's a fantastic lesson. I think everybody uh, listening who, you know, maybe you're going to be in a role, a leadership role in the future, I think it's crucial that we listen to our team, learn from our team, realize that, you know, just because we are the so-called leader doesn't mean we're the smartest person in the room on every topic. Like, we're there to enable their success, and a lot of that is learning from them. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, and I think it was critical in that I didn't have any credibility with that team. You know, and, and he did. And so I was able to borrow his credibility to lead them in the direction we need to go. And they bought into it very, very quickly. Yeah, no, I, that, that's fantastic. Um, looking through some of the info that you sent me before this, it looks like you went in to, uh, you know, lead the, the nuclear security professionals and then you were deployed overseas. Um, tell me a little bit about that experience and kind of what you what you took back from it. Yeah, that was really, you know, I tell everybody, I started in cost reduction consulting just like everyone else. I went over to Iraq, you know, but that was really how I got my first opportunity. It was it was 2008, and we were looking at the, the Air Force was looking at ways to reduce the cost of the war as well as reduce the impact on the war fighters. How can we minimize how much we have to deploy over there? So I had a really cool opportunity where I deployed and I worked with the Marines and the Army and we looked at what what can we do to reduce these these costs, both financially and then on the service member. And, and so we came up with some plans and I was responsible for implementing them. And uh, it was it was a tremendous success. We ended up um, being able to shut down one of the locations sooner than what we'd anticipated uh, with that. So great experience. When I came home, my wife said, you know, that was great that you were gone, but I never want to do it again. So, uh, you know, she, she gave me my choice. So she said, we can move anywhere you want as long as we get out of the military. And, and for me, I'm a big Steelers fan. So I said, as long as I can get back to watching Steelers games on the weekends, you know, we'll go. And so we moved back to, uh, to Western Pennsylvania and I had an opportunity to work with utilities and be placed on teams, really helping them. Um, either you know reduce OSHA's, increase reliability, uh, minimize their O and M expenses. So I spent about twelve years doing that before I finally decided. You know, I think I'm going to venture out on my own and, and see what I can do on my own. And, and so that's when I got connected with Schooley Mitchell, and and now I run this little area up here in northwestern Pennsylvania. Fantastic. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. Was uh, you obviously had a, a very unique background, uh, a lot of education. You've got a bachelor in justice, a master's in leadership. Uh, you could do a lot of things. Uh, what about Schooley Mitchell made you decide like this is the right fit for me? This is the place I need to go. Yeah, I love helping people and solving problems, right? And and when I was working with the utilities, one of the things I struggled with was. We would identify a problem, we would develop a solution, and then work on a game plan and roll it out. But we were always relying on someone else to execute. And so ultimately, our success fell on someone else's shoulders. Uh, what I loved about Schooley Mitchell was they already know where the problem is. 
they're able to find the solution, and then Schooly Mitchell is the one that implements the solution. So it guarantees the success for the client. You know, I know most businesses are too busy to implement what a consultant tells them, right? If, if they weren't that busy, then they would have done it years ago, but they're just too busy focused on operations. During COVID, even more so. So what really drew me to Schooly Mitchell was I knew that, that I could taste that success because I ultimately was the one that was going to implement the solution. Okay. And so looking at that decision to kind of go out on your own, as you said, that obviously can be a, a big source of stress and anxiety for people. Um, how do you manage stress and anxiety? Obviously, you, you had some pretty, uh, I would imagine, maybe not super anxious, but I would hope with nuclear weapons, but uh, stressful in that you're responsible for, for some very serious things. Um, how do you deal with stress and anxiety in your day-to-day -day life? You know, when I was younger, I used to say, oh, I don't get stressed. I don't get anxious. Um, I was just kind of burying it at that point. As I got older, I, I developed a little system. Um, it's called FOPA, Focus, Organize, Plan, and Attack. And, and I realized for me, when I get stressed or I feel anxious, it's, it's because I don't feel like I've got a good plan of attack. And so what I really have to do is I have to sit down and focus on what is the issue that, that's causing me the problem, start organizing, get organized around it, develop my plan, and then attack. Just execute on that plan. And, and about nine times out of ten, that resolves the issue for me. I don't even have to be successful in the attack. It was just knowing that I've got a plan made me feel so much better. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, I think that uh, stress and anxiety is something that we don't talk about in the business world very often. I think it impacts a lot of people. I think especially uh, men don't talk about it because it's kind of, you know, uh, got a bit of a faux pas to it to, to say that you, ha you experience stress. It's like, no, I'm fine all the time. Uh, but I like that system a lot. Um, another one that I heard recently, I was watching an interview with a Navy SEAL, and they, they asked, like, what's a 30-second thing you can do to, to bring your stress down? And he's like, well, grab a sheet of paper and write down a list of all of your problems all the things that are wrong right now that you're worried about now cross off all the ones that you can't do anything about now pick one of the ones that are not crossed off and work on that and yeah. i was like that that makes a lot of sense and it's similar to you like you know figure out what's going on come up with a plan and then attack i like that a lot um Looking at your field, what you do at Schooly Mitchell, you know, people think about efficiency experts and, and those types of things. What's kind of a common myth? Like, what, what are some of the uh, maybe common misconceptions that you have to fight against? You know, one of the, the common misconceptions that we have at Schooly Mitchell is that we're going to rely on their manpower to implement the solution. You know, when I, when I talk to people, and our business model is pretty simple, and where we say, listen, um, we're either going to find you savings and we'll share in those savings or you don't pay us a fee, right? We're like the Edgar Schneiders of the, uh, of the, the consulting world, right? The issue is people say, hey, that sounds like a great proposition, but I don't have the time to implement what you're saying. I don't have the time to meet with you. And, and it's getting them to understand we can sit down and in about 45 minutes, I'll have all the information I need to give it to my team. They'll eat it up, analyze it, and we'll come back with a solution. And when they say, when the company says go, we'll implement it for them. So it doesn't take much time. So that's that's probably the biggest misconception that we have. And, and there's a reason for that because most consultants, that's the way they operate, right? They'll come in if you've worked with a McKinsey or a Decra, things of that nature. They're great at what they do because they're able to pull information out of you. But at the end of the day, they're ultimately relying on you to implement it. And, and most companies just don't have that time. Okay. 
That makes a lot of sense. So looking at, at Schooly Mitchell, looking forward uh, from now, what's your goal? Like, what's your career goal there? What's what's success look like for you in five years? You know, so that's, it's funny you say that. So so my career goals and my success are are somewhat different. So my career goals, you know, I, I talked about having this, this northwestern Pennsylvania corner. You know, what I'd like to do over the next seven years is expand locations in the Buffalo and Cleveland. Because those are those are under underserved areas with cost reduction consulting. So ultimately, I want to open up branches in that those locations. So those would be the career goals. But success, I really define my success. I you know, I failed numerous times in my work, right? And if this fails, I'll figure it out. I'll get forward. But my success is really I measure it with my children, right? And my goal is is to raise good adults. And so, you know, no matter how I do in my business, my ultimate goal and how I'm going to measure success is how are my kids doing? Are they, are they being polite, respectful? Are they being courageous? That's how I'll measure success. That makes a ton of sense. I'm always curious the answer to this question. Um, what's the biggest thing you've learned from your kids <laughs> or from having kids? Uh, you know, I would, so it's funny you ask. I wrote my daughter, my first daughter, I wrote her a letter on her first birthday going through a list of things that she already taught me that when we had her, I was 35, so I thought I already knew everything. And I wrote her a list. And one of the things that just sticks out to me is um, everyone's a good team when they don't face any challenges. And, and I'll give you an example. My first daughter was easy. I mean, as easy as they come. And so everyone would look at my wife and I and they'd say, you guys make an excellent team. Like, you just, you do so great. And I remember the first time that my daughter was crying and couldn't stop through the night. And I looked at my wife and I said, did you feed her too much? Did you feed her too little? Did you let her sit in her diaper too long? And my diapers, or my wife would say to me, you know, well, were you being too loud? Did you startle her? And, and we, we crumbled immediately. You know, and it was funny. It was like that was our first taste of adversity, and we just kind of fell into each other. And, and so I thought about it. I said, you know, everyone is a good team when you don't face adversity. So, so don't fool yourself into thinking, hey, we're, we're doing really well. If things are going well for you, that doesn't mean you're a good team. Be mindful that when adversity comes, that's really when you're going to show your mettle. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, if you're looking at the interview that we've done today and you're looking at the listeners, uh, you know, what, what do you hope they take away from this? Um, what, what would be your, your, your ideal uh, tip or, you know, learning that they should take away? You know, selfishly, it, it's, you know, taking advantage of the opportunity at Schooling Mitchell, you know, and what we can do for them. Like I said, we can go in and we can look at their costs and it's risk-free to them. We take on all the risk because, We've gotten good enough to know that most likely we're going to save them money. Um, but even if not, it's for them to really look at what they're paying for their services and question, can I get a better rate? Is there a better way to do things? And, and i give you a, a quick example of some things they can do. A lot of businesses have moved to work from home. So they have a lot of phone lines that are sitting there in their office that they're still paying for every month. So call up the vendor and say, hey, do you have an option where I can put these on vacation mode? And essentially what you're doing is you're holding on to the phone number, but you're not paying as much for it because you're not using it, right? So those are some things um, when they're doing their shipping. If they're, you know, if they're doing a lot of outbound shipping, 
They do inbound shipping as well. There's an opportunity where they can work with the person that's shipping to them to put it onto their account. That way it increases their volume and they'll get lower rates. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. The, the rates that you pay isn't necessarily the best rates, and there's a lot of opportunities to lower those. And ultimately, I want businesses to lower those because I want them to reinvest that money. You know, you see where we are right now across North America. The more money they have to invest, the better off we're going to be, the quicker we get out of this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. All right. So I always uh, typically ask two questions at the end of every interview. The one question was what you just answered, what people should take away from uh, this interview. The next one is a personal interest question for me. I read and collect a lot of books. Um, which book would you recommend right now, personal or professional? I, uh, I would go with John A. Cuff's Soundtracks. Okay. And, and, and I enjoy it because it, it scratches two itches for me. One, I love behavioral economics. Like that really feeds to the, the analytical part of, of, you know, what I like to read. But it's also about personal development, right? And he's really talking about, you know, what is it that we constantly play over and over in our heads that's stopping us from making that next move? And how do we rewrite that? What is it that we need to do to rewrite that? And so, um, and I love John Acuff. I wrote to him one time, asked him if he could autograph a book and send it to me. I was giving it to someone for a graduation gift, and he was phenomenal. He didn't mind doing it. So I, uh, anywhere that I can promote John Acuff, I do. Fantastic. Well, you know what? That is actually that's an author I've never run into, so I'm going to check that out for sure. All right, Adam. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Um, for everyone listening and watching on YouTube, I'm going to put links down below to how you can connect with Adam um, through his website and social media and all those different things. And uh, with that, Adam, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Sean, thanks so much for the opportunity. And, and as always, every time we talk, I enjoy it. All right. Thanks for listening to On Air with Sean McStay. If you have any questions for the guests, contact me on social media or reach out on my website, www.onairwithshawnmcstay.com. Have a great rest of your day.